This podcast is a presentation of Faith Assembly of God, where our mission is to connect people with Christ and to experience life. Get more information online at faithishere.org and join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 11 a.m. Thank you for making this podcast a part of your week. Well, I'm psyched up. And it doesn't take much to get me psyched up, I'll tell you that. You know, when you see that freedom ring, it makes you think about America and what has happened. The land of the free and the home of the brave. We celebrated our soldiers this morning and had them stand up and said thank you. There's a lot of people in this world who have forgotten there's a difference between the sheepdog and the wolf. There's a wolf that is out there and he gets up every morning thinking, how can I get me a sheep for dinner? And then there's a sheepdog who's willing to stay and get up also earlier than the wolf and say, I will keep you and I will protect you and I will defend you with my life. And sometimes when the battle gets raging and sometimes when the sheepdog and the wolf are at it, the sheep mutter to themselves and say, look at those two violent dogs. One of them committed themselves to protecting everybody else. And one of them is committed to killing everyone else. And we must understand the difference between the two. It's a shame that uh, sometimes we forget that. I want to talk this morning about what it took to make this country great. And I want to thank you, Pastor, for letting me have this opportunity to share. I'm thinking of uh, John Adams when he wrote his wife, Abigail, and many of you may have seen the letter or if you haven't. He said, I have a feeling this day is going to be celebrated in the future. He thought it was going to be July 2nd, by the way, because that's when they actually wrote the declaration and signed it. But it turned out it was July 4th. He said, this day is going to be celebrated in future generations with bonfires and fireworks, celebrations and parades and solemn acts of worship to God Almighty. Remembering this is the day that started the freedom. He also got a little more somber in the letter as he wrote her and he said, I know the cost that it will take. For the Revolutionary War had not really gotten started yet. He said, I know the cost it's going to take, but the end is worth it. He could see the rays of ravishing light, he said, and I know the cost will be worth it. I want to talk about, I want to go back before that even and Talk about Christopher Columbus. You know, we've heard a lot in, in my generation, uh, Christopher Columbus denigrated and, and uh, as, as, as a bad person. But if you go back and you read his writings, the things that he said bore him along, the things that caused him to have a vision and see, you'll see that it was God Almighty. He wrote in his things, I did not make use of intelligence or maps or mathematics but I relied completely on the faith that I have in God Almighty, the faith of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he believed that he was on a divine mission to open up the world for the gospel of Christ. He was an evangelist. His name means Christ bearer. And he said, no one should ever worry about a task that they have to do if God is for them. And so it was this kind of faith that put him on a boat to sail in when everybody, and he even writes it in there, he said, everybody was laughing at me. 
I, I know he must have thought about Noah building his ark and everybody's laughing at him until the rain started falling. Christopher Columbus might have felt the same way. He tried to sell this idea, this vision for almost 10 years of his life. He was committed to a purpose that said, we will sail there for the glory of God and to tell the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they got in their boats and off they took to a place they did not know where they'd come, if they would ever come back from it. I, I, I just have to believe that as he was going, he was thinking, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me for his glory. If he is behind me, who can be against me? If he is going to sail me across this sea, no one shall stop us. I think of John Robinson, and I know a little bit more. I'm moving ahead to the pilgrims. There were 103 of them. They had been persecuted and hounded. And John Robinson said, wrote in his books, uh, uh, William Bradford did, the first, the first governor of the pilgrims said, bloody death and cruel torments and imprisonments and banishments have hounded us for the 10 years that we have left England, and then they went to Holland, they came back to England, they were persecuted everywhere they went, and they said, we see a new day. Let's head across. 103. They, they, they went out on the first boat, it leaked so badly, they had to come back. My great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was on that ship with his wife and his children. They had the first child born on that boat. Can you imagine you're nine months pregnant? And it's summertime. They left in October, but it was summertime when she was seven, eight, till she got to nine. And she's saying, I'm going to get in this little boat that's not half as big as this stage with 103 other people, and we're going to sail off to nowhere. Who knows where we're going? They intended to go to Virginia. The weather got too bad. They were delayed, and they made it to the shores of Massachusetts. And they set up camp there. After the first year... There were only 52 of them left. Now, I don't know if we can comprehend that, but it's, it's less than or it's sitting in those pews when they started with twice as many and only half are left. And they sat down and they said to one another, shall we go back? Shall we return? And they said, by faith, we have made it this far. And by faith, we will make it. We will stay the course for that kind of faith, Pastor, for that kind of faith, that is what bore this nation along. That kind of vision, that kind of dream, that kind of courage, that kind of um, reliance on God Almighty that I don't care what the obstacle is, I don't care what's standing in front of me, with God, I can make it. And I will make it. And so, they did make it through that first winter. And they did... Uh, the Lord provided. Do you know that just a few years prior, had they landed just a couple of years prior, and I'm thinking of the Israelites when they came out of the, uh, Egypt, out of the land that in scriptural terms really represents sin, the old ways. They were protected, by the way. They were safe there, but it was a miserable life. They were slaves. But they did have just enough to make it to eat. Just enough. And then they worked all day for somebody else. But when they came out of that, when they came into their promised land, there were giants in the land. There was high-walled cities. There were dangers. 
There was, there was a desert that was, if you've ever been in the Middle East, it is hot. We think it's hot here. Try 135 degrees and no water to be seen anywhere. The same thing when you read the writings of the pilgrims. They knew that they were pilgrims on a journey just as the Israelites were to find their freedom, to find their promised land. And when they came out of that, two years prior to their arriving, there was a violent Indian tribe there. Had they landed two years prior, they would have been wiped out. There is no doubt. But it's a mysterious disease that no historian has ever been able to figure out wiped that tribe out two years prior to them coming. And so instead, they were met by Squanto and Samoset, two Indians who had learned English from the Jamestown settlers uh, a decade before and came up, and they are the ones who helped them to plant that first corn and to settle things in. And with that kind of faith, they said, and God has provided us missionaries here. He has provided us everything we've needed to make it through. That kind of thinking is what was, was still in the hearts as we move forward to 1776. And I want to pick out a, 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 just a, a, a thing here and see if you know who said this. This is uh, one of my favorite speeches of all time. You'll know when I get to the end. But this was given to the men and women, as they are, particularly the men, as we were deciding whether or not we would face down the greatest naval force, the greatest army that the world had seen, the British Empire, who was sitting outside our shores with their naval boats and their, their warships waiting to take us over. And this speech was given For my own part, I consider it nothing less than a question of freedom or slavery. It is in only this way we can hope to arrive at truth and fulfill the greatest responsibility we hold to God and country. We've done everything we could. And he goes on to list all the things they had done to avert this war. Sir, we are not weak, as some suppose, if we make proper use of the means which God of nature hath placed in our power. We have the people to do it armed in the holy cause of liberty, as in such a country that we possess, we are invincible with God behind us. Besides, sir, we shall not fight this fight alone. There is a just God who presides over the destiny of men and over nations, and he will raise up friends to fight with us. The battle, sir, is not to the strong alone. It is to the vigilant, to the brave, to the active. Is life so dear and peace so sweet? that it should be bought at the chains of liberty. And now you'll know who made this speech, but you don't ever hear that part. In his total, complete reliance that God would be for him, he said, forbid it, almighty God. I know not, of course, what others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. With that, Patrick Henry set the the Congress on fire, and they said, all right, let's go. We're going, let's, let's go. And it was him and others like him and Thomas Paine who said, we must fight this fight for liberty. Just with the vision that the, that the pilgrims had, that this was going to be a place that would declare the gospel. And I have to make a little segue there. We found ourselves in the Middle East now. But one of the favorite pictures I have of, of the Middle East, a place where you can be arrested and you can be killed for preaching the gospel. Every soldier that's there is told, don't bring your Bibles and don't... don't 
uh, proselytize when you get there. This would be an affront to our nation. But we're all given a little Gideon's Bible, by the way, or at least offered one before we go. And I always carry one in my helmet bag every trip that I ever took over there. I have my little Gideon's Bible in there. But the one picture I love is about seven army soldiers. They're all in their gear, and they have dug themselves out a little pit about that deep, and it's full of water, and they're baptizing one of their own. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not going to be stopped by men. His army is going to march forward, and it's going to go wherever he wants it to go, any time he wants it to go, any place he wants it to go, and no power of hell can stop it. And your men and women actually, while they're fighting the cause of freedom and they're fighting for their their constitution that said they would support and defend the constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, is actually breaking open doors for the gospel to be spread as it did with Christopher Columbus's vision, as it did with the Pilgrim's vision, as it did with Patrick Henry's vision, that freedom will bring freedom's sake and freedom's sake will bring people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was not founded by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. For this very reason, peoples of other faiths have been afforded asylum, prosperity, and freedom of worship here. That is what we have offered here. Let's move forward. Pastor, somebody give me the time frame here. I see it. I'm not too good at that usually. I want to talk about the Declaration of Independence just for a minute. We have been endowed by who? Wait a minute. I'm sure it must have said by the, by the monarchy, by the king. We've been endowed by the king? No, we've been endowed by our creator. It wasn't by Congress. It wasn't by a president. It wasn't by any man. God has been placed ahead and on top Of all of those, the rights come from God Almighty, not from a band of people who decide what you can and you cannot do. Your rights are inalienable. They cannot be separated from you. These words are important. When these these freedoms come from God, then no man can take them from you. When they are inalienable, they are part and parcel of you. They are part of your spirit. They are part of who you are. And so they cannot be taken from you. And now I'm hearing Paul say that if I'm in prison, if I'm shipwrecked, if I'm thrown into jail, it doesn't matter. For I am free. And we are free no matter what. But that declaration and then the declaration uh, came out of that, the Constitution, and then men and women fought for 10 years. And they gave up lives, fortune, and their sacred honor for the cause of freedom. And we still live in that. I want to skip forward a little bit, maybe 60 years. Well, actually, skip forward just a few years. 30 years later, when we look at an Iraq, and I saw the pictures of Iraq. I didn't have Iraq mentioned in my thing, but I want to tell you in 2004, when I saw them for the first time in their history get to vote who to bring in, it still remains to see if Iraq can hold on to their freedom. But they came out under threat of death. And they put little purple dye on their fingers, which showed everybody, I voted. And it didn't last. It wasn't a little sticker that later that day you peeled off. It was a dye that lasted two, three days. And some didn't wash it off for weeks. 
because they wanted to know we have the right to vote. We have a right to choose. We have freedom here that we have never had before. I'm not supporting the war or against the war. I'm telling you, when I saw that, I knew they had a chance. When they were willing to give up their life for freedom. If they had not been willing to go there, I would have probably been going, I don't know, this might just be another time when we got involved in something we can't get out of. But when they did that, and not just a few, over 12 million of them risked their lives and put the mark on themselves and said, we're going to be free. And the Shiite Muslims and the, uh, uh, the Sunni Muslims were fighting. Both of them were saying, if you vote, we'll kill you. And the people said, we'll do it. We're going to vote. So it, it'll still remain just like us. We're here 234 years later after they signed that declaration fighting for freedom. If you do not fight for it, you will not keep it. The sad history of the world is 6,000 years of recorded history of man's inhumanity to his fellow man. If you relinquish this freedom, there will be a tyranny. There will be a power. There will be a thug. There will be somebody who will come in and take it from you. And you must be willing to fight for it. I think of Americanism, and it's in the Alamo. The Alamo is one of my favorite stories. It's not a particularly spiritual story, but it's an American story. It's an American story about Davy Crockett and Jim Bowie and a man who said, if we hold this fort, if we hold this fort, the cavalry will come. Little did he know they were off in Washington debating about it, whether they'd come or they didn't come, but that's not what they thought. They thought if we could just hold on to this fort, and he You know, legend has it, he drew his line in the sand. Travis drew his line in the sand. He said, if you want to fight for freedom, step over the line. If not, you better fly. And 189 stepped over. And men like Jim Bowie, who was just a a mountaineer, gambling, crazy guy, what was he doing there? Davy Crockett, a congressman, who had said... To his people, and I don't, I don't usually cuss, but this is what he said. He had been elected. He said, if, you, if the good people of Tennessee choose to reelect me and send me to Congress, I will go there and serve. Probably the worst thing he hated. He couldn't stand being in Washington, D.C., I'm sure. But he did it as a service to the people. But he said, if you don't want me, then the hell with you. And he took off for Texas. They didn't elect him in. He took off for Texas where freedom was still being fought for. Do you know that the Mexicans had gained their independence six, seven years earlier? In the first seven years of Mexico's history, they had six presidents. It was chaos. There was fighting all the time. Santa Ana had taken over for a while, then he lost it, then he wanted it back. And that's what was going on in our Western country there. And the Texans said, we will fight. We're going to fight him. And he was coming with his 6,000 troops, and you know the story. 300 were there, then 189, and they all fought to the death. And they gave them just enough time to organize the rest of them. Do you know most of those people weren't even from Texas? Most of them from Ohio, North Carolina, South Carolina, from the, from the West. And they went to Texas. This is the American spirit that says, if they're fighting for freedom there, I'll go. And I will help them. And they went there and every one of them lost their lives almost. But in the Battle of San Jacinto, they defeated Santa Ana and Texas asked for uh, statehood the next year and said, we want to be part of this. We want to be part of what you're doing here. 
And so we joined and uh, joined up together for that. In World War I, we had the bloodiest battle uh, probably uh, in all of the, the world, especially for the Europeans. You see, we broke away from the Europeans. You know, we're, ours is not the first revolution that was ever fought. They were fighting revolutions all over. The, the, the history of the world is littered with them. But do you know we're the oldest democracy in the world? Ours was an experiment in democracy. France had a revolution right after we did. But theirs was built on the age of reason, on the reason of men. Ours was built in faith in God. And that makes all the difference. Fifteen years after their revolution, they had Napoleon, an emperor, who took right back over where the kings left off. Fifteen years after we had, we had George Washington and John Adams and Thomas Jefferson and those kind of men saying, I don't want to be king. I never want to be king. In Russia, they had a revolution. They overthrew the czars. And within five years, they had what was called an orgy of democracy the first two years. It was chaos and anarchy. And then the strong men came back in to take over. And we ended up with Stalin. America is accused of many, many things in World War II. Um, we were reluctant to get into a war. Very reluctant. And at the end, we saw that Hitler and what he was doing was worthy of it. And men and women poured in. My father was one of them. Left school. Got in an old jalopy. It broke down halfway to St. Louis. And then on the, they hitchhiked the rest of the way with a friend of his and he joined up. My mother was a nurse up in uh, Massachusetts, in Boston, Massachusetts. I told you we were uh, descendants of the Mayflower. They lived in Boston all their lives, and they both joined up. 16.7 million people served in World War II. That was almost one out of, and almost all of them were men, almost. That's one out of every five men served in that war for freedom, for a cause. I don't know where to stop. I, I honestly don't. You could just go on and on and on. I do want to skip, though, to, again, what it takes. Uh, when I was growing up, a lot of people think this is a terrible time to live in America. Things are just horrible. But if you lived in the 60s, how many of y'all lived in the 60s? Were at least teenagers in the 60s. There were riots in the street all the time. It was nothing to see 400,000 people at the Capitol protesting our nation protesting the Vietnam War. The Civil Rights Movement had just come through. Martin Luther King Jr. had stood up and said, we will fight non-violently. And he had a dream. He had the same courageous dream that others who fought for freedom had. And he was willing to walk in to places where he knew. I feel like he must have just felt like Jesus sometimes when he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I'm walking into you and I know that you're going to kill me. And all of his... People around him knew too. They said, Jesus, don't go there. They said, Martin, don't go there. This is not going to be a good place. And he said, I have a dream. I have a dream of America that sees the slave and the slaveholders' children playing together, where we're not judged by the color of our skin, but by the content of our character. That dream is still living with me. I still see that dream. I want that dream. I want a dream of an America where everybody can come. You know, it's a funny thing, as much criticism as we get, that our number one domestic problem, the number one domestic problem in this country, too many people want in. We can't stop them. They're flooding in. 
That is our number one. You think that's the number one problem in Cuba? That's not the number one problem in Cuba. You think that's the number one problem in any place? Go find me a place where their number one problem is, get out, stop, stop, we can't keep them. They are flooding across, and it's a problem. It is a problem. But let me tell you this, Christians. If we can't stop them, let's convert them. Jesus Christ called us to evangelize and go to all parts of the world. He called us to preach his gospel. And whether we preach it under a dictator and we're allowed to, or we preach it under a constitutional uh, system of government, I don't care for my first calling is to Christ Jesus Almighty. My first calling is, so if I meet somebody on the street, my first question isn't, are you illegal? It's, are you saved? Do you know the Savior? At the first thing that I see, we have missed so many opportunities with America's poor. And I'm talking to the church now, and I'm not going to preach, Larry. I'm going to leave that for you later. But... We've missed opportunities. We've put kids in government-run institutions and government-run programs and government-run... They can't bring them peace and happiness and and the salvation. That's up to us. We've got to get them out of those government-run, sponsored, after-day care programs and after-school programs and get them our program. Let's tell them about the real hope and and, uh, Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. This podcast has been a presentation of Faith Assembly where our mission is to connect people with Christ and to experience life. Thank you for listening this week.